is the Photographer's Revolution Podcast, and I am your host, Dana Pugh. Okay, I am super excited this morning to be chatting with Audrey De La Cruz from Dear Photographer. I was going to try to do her whole name. Let's see if I can do it. Without sounding like the whitest person on the planet, <laughs> Adriana, I can't do it. Adriana Dela Cruz, she'll say it so with like so much nicer than I will. Um, she is from AudreyDelacruz.com, and dear, and she is the creator of Dear Photographer, and I'm so excited to welcome her here today. Hello, Audrey, how are you? Hi, Dina, how are you? We have like such crazy gloomy skies outside and I wish it was sunny and oh. I could be outside talking to you but this will do <laughs> stay inside well, I'm lucky. it's been we've had a terrible winter where it's been super gloomy and cold in Alberta and then the, it's like spring came with that spring forward all of a sudden it's sunny and the snow is melting it's not like super warm but I don't even care Cause I'll take like <laughs> blue skies and sunshine. I don't care about yeah. the temperature. Like I there's a little bit of hope. There's yeah. a little bit of hope for warmer days. Yeah. I, I feel you. We're in Chicago, so I'm done. I'm yeah. officially clocked out of winter, and I'm ready for spring. I have no more left to give to winter. You know, I've, I've never been to Chicago, so uh, is it a super rainy place? Uh no, not really. I mean, once. Um, May and April, kind of, sporadically. Yeah. yeah. And then once it's summer, it's summer. Like, and it's nice. Like, we rarely have any rain in the summer. Yeah. Until, yeah. I know people always I, are like, how can you live in Alberta? And I'm like, honestly, like, where I live, it's pretty dry. So it snows, but it's kind of a dry snow and a dry cold. Uh-huh. And then April's the worst month ever because everything melts and it's disgusting. And then what happens is by the time it's June, like mid-June, July, August, September, it is like the perfect weather. So you get this like patch of perfect weather that makes it all worthwhile. And then you go back into the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you have that little patch. We we have a really good, until like November, it's good here. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I want to know, when did you pick up a camera? When, how, uh, how long ago? Um, and why did you pick up a camera? I just want to hear about how you got started in photography in general. All right. So I think to really understand my reasoning behind going for photography, we should go back to the fact that I am like an immigrant to the United States and You know, we, I didn't have, um, a lot of resources growing up. Right. Um, my parents, I came here when I was, hmm, let's see. I always, I'm probably like saying different dates now because it's like my memory is the worst, but I want to say like eight, nine, I was eight, nine and English is my second language. So, um, growing up, it was never really sad. Like you can go to college, you can pursue this. It was basically like. There is no money after high school, you get a job and you get to work and that's it, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of hope for me when it came to something creative, but like, you know, growing up in grade school and doing electives in high school, I always chose like fashion merchandising and ceramics and photography. And I was like doing all these creative things. And I'm like, how, 
like trying to figure out in my head without any resources. And, you know, I, I had the ability to go to the library and use a computer because we didn't have one at home, but it was very limited. And I remember like thinking like, how do I make money out of something creative? Where like can I, started, I, can I interrupt you and just say like, yeah, where, of course. what, where did you immigrate from? I came from Chihuahua. So that's one of the northern states in Mexico. Oh, yeah. It's like literally my city, it's very popular because there is, I mean, it's not popular. Yeah. <laughs> it's very bad. No, bad. Like they know it because it's a really bad spot. So oh, okay. if you Google Ciudad Juarez, there is a huge, huge influx of women killings. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, it's, it's really bad. When I was a kid... My aunt actually died as part of, you know, they were just murdering women, like, right. for no reason. And so I think that was one of the biggest things my parents taught us, you know, immigrants in the United States, is they like, want to keep our kids safe. And, and so when they, came, reason, when they came to America, what did they do for work? Um, what did you To work, do? pretty much um, when you were, you know, when you don't, we had a lot of family here established already. Right. And they, they just take cash paying jobs or anything small because they don't they don't speak the language. Right. They had nothing. And we just, you know, we stayed with family until we got our um, paperwork in order. And then we branched out on our own. But, yeah, definitely it helped that we had a lot of family here because otherwise, without speaking the language, I didn't know. I knew a little bit because I went to school in El Paso with right. my aunt, right. who was actually, who co-sponsored for me to get, like, legalized and all this. You know what I mean? Right. So, oh, wow. yeah, my parents just uprooted themselves. Yeah. I, so, it's like, that's such a different childhood for most people, you know? And I wonder, in Mexico, like, where you were living in Mexico, because I know Mexico's a vast country, but in the area that you're from... Was college uh, an option for most people? Do they talk about it? Is it part of the culture? Um, I'm not. You know, I was a young kid. My my parents' education, my mom went up to the fifth grade. Wow. My Yeah, my dad did go to high school, but I think he went one or two years, and that was it. And he wanted to be, like, an engineer, and they had me when they were in their 20s. And my mom was 17. So my dad was wow. 20 when my mom was 17, yeah. Wow. And so they came to America for a better life. Yeah, they really did. We're like that that typical like immigrant story, just moving your kids out of a dangerous, violent zone. Yeah. Just you know, you like I you know, with all this conversation regarding our current situation with the president and whatever, it's like there's just so much people don't really understand, you know. And like even even though I tell them like you get married, like, you're not able to be a citizen right away. Like, you have to go through these channels, and it's so much money, and it's it's just, like, this whole other conversation that I could probably right. have, you know what I mean? But it's so, it's so interesting, because I think that what, or, like, as a Canadian, we have our own issues, too, but, like, watching what's happening in the U.S., I think it's really easy for people to sort of dehumanize it and sort of look at it, like, just like, I don't know, remove the human element from it and not understand yes. that these are like real people who have real yeah. reasons for coming and like maybe chat with one of them or two of them and just sort of come to an understanding of what the real situation is as opposed to sort of the talking points that you see on the news. Yeah, and I had a, I had a chat with like one of my most conservative 
friends who was also a photographer. She was just like wanting to learn more because, you know, her husband had actually voted for Trump and she was like, you know, like all these things. And I'm like, well, it's not so easy. Like I pray and hope that the people that are so anti-immigrants, they never have to have a reason to uproot their whole family to a different country without knowing the language, without security of jobs. You just take a chance and you hope that it works out. Otherwise you go back to the violence and you know what I mean? Like it's, it's disheartening that so many people don't really understand yeah. that nobody, no one, I don't want to, like if it was my choice, I would be with my culture, with my people. If there was a chance for good paying jobs for my husband you know, I probably wouldn't have married my husband. I probably wouldn't have these kids, but I don't want to be away from my, like the land that I was born in. Right. And I can imagine that my mom, like she used to cry about being back home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so do you feel like an extra, I know now we're like kind of off topic, but not really. Cause I feel <laughs> like as an artist, this sort of like background information about you, it really forms who you are as an artist. So do you feel like as a first generation American, like, you know, you're part of the reason why your parents are here. Right. Well, like, I think do you feel I'm pressure still, like, I feel like I'm not in, well, I was born in Mexico, so I don't consider myself American. Right. Like, my whole culture, and my kids would be first-generation Americans. Right. Because they were born here, they speak the language, and they'll never know, like, you know, the differences in living in Mexico compared to here. So, I do feel, like, a lot of pressure to... And my, and my siblings do, too, because I have four other, three other siblings who we were all just trying to be, you know, good citizens. Right. And good, just upholding everything and having good values and just being good people. Right. Right. Yeah. And so you found yourself in high school and you were creative. It's funny because I used to be a merchandiser. For like a, yeah, for, like a, for interior design companies, a couple different companies, but... Like where I went and did like window designs and like, 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 I don't know, not boring, but like, (laughs) you know, like I, I felt like not like I was doing a whole lot for society, but it was like fun when I was in my twenties. Um, and so I was the same way, like where I was always creative in high school. So there you are finding yourself all creative in high school and then you graduate and what's next? Well, I, when I was a senior, you know, everybody is starting to make their plans and it's like, it's really sad. I think like, well, it was sad for me because there wasn't really any options. There was literally nothing. There was no cash flow. I couldn't, my, my visa status, I couldn't apply for any, any, um, student loans. Everything had to come out of pocket, which is how a lot of students that are undocumented do it. They do it out of pocket. They save and you know, community save and they pour into this one kid to get them to graduate. And we went to go visit this art school. And I remember at the time it was like maybe 3,500 per half semester. And that was unbelievable to me. And it was just not an option. And, but I, you know, at least I got the information and it was like the numbers just didn't fit. (laughs) (laughs) They just didn't fit. And, you know, now I'm grateful because I see the amount of debt that other people have from school. Right. And I'm glad that I figured out what I wanted to do without having to go through the channels of getting a photography. What, and, you know, anyone who has a degree is just amazing, but I'm glad that I figured out how to do it. Yeah. Without getting into debt because that's insane. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, after that, uh, I went into painting for a while. I loved like doing um, oil paintings, and then it was pretty much like just just. I was actually considering going back to Mexico because I felt like my choices, I had none. Right. And I was like, maybe if I go back, I'll figure out what I want. I know English. I could probably get a good translation job or something, you know? I was getting tired of, like, not really having any doors to go through or just not seeing a lot that I could do. And then I met my husband. I was, like, 19, 20. It was like a whirlwind. Then we got married, then had a baby. And after my son, I started um, with photography, and that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. How did you get your first camera? Did you just my decide first camera, to buy it? Or? I had a Canon 20D, and my father-in-law actually bought me it with a kit lens, and then I bought my 50-millimeter lens. Yeah. But it was like... So the 20D, I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. it. Yeah, it's old. It's like I, I started with like a 30D when it was the 30D was new and it was like amazing and fantastic <laughs> and I got the kit lens too which was a 17 to 85 4.6 to or 4.0 to 5.6 and yeah. then um a month later I was like I need a 50 millimeter 1.4 because I can't even shoot with this crappy <laughs> kit, kit lens and so right. I did exactly the same thing as you <laughs> and and I think the good thing about the 20D is that it doesn't have Everything you had to learn manually, yeah, right away. Like yeah. you couldn't. I see these rebels, and they're so, so much complicated. Different, yeah, they're so complicated, and I think there is a lot of loopholes to just take the easy road. Right. So I like that the twenty D was like you either have to jump in this, or you're gonna put it on auto, and you're just not gonna learn. Yeah. So I did manual from day one because that's what it said to do, and yeah. I couldn't read a manual like the the little pocket manual. Yeah to save my life I was like this doesn't make sense I'm such a doer like I just need to practice and do it yeah and learn everything the hard way because that is how it gets ingrained in me so yeah the little pack pa the little pocket thing I'm like I I this is like gibberish I do not oh, yeah. understand this <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't either and then somebody gave me the book understanding exposure by Brian Peterson I don't know oh. if you've ever heard of it it's actually like a super simple book and then Right after that, I went to Spain with my husband uh -huh. for two weeks where it was just the two of us. And I shot like I just kept shooting, shooting, shooting on full manual. I was like, I'm going to master this. And even still, some of my images from Spain, we were there during Easter, which is like amazing. It's amazing there during Easter. So like some of my pictures from that trip are still some of my favorite images oh. taken with my crappy 30D. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I think, I think one thing about me is that, like, if I have a goal and I'm committed, like, I just make it happen because, right. and it's something that, I don't know, I, I, I try to instill in my siblings. It's like, you can do whatever you want. Like, you really can. Like, if you want to learn to play piano, just, you have to commit, you Yeah, know? It just takes <laughs> work. for it. That's, the, it, it is about doing, you're right. And so, yeah. when did you start your photography business? When, how did that go? So, you know, it's it's a typical story of not being prepared and yeah. just basically jumping into a huge freaking puddle of water without really any knowledge. Or I, could, I shouldn't say puddle. Maybe it's like a freaking ocean of, like, <laughs> not knowing how to swim. Just, you know, slowly 
just, you know, I should have, if I could do it all over, I would, but I wish I would have had the knowledge to prepare my client base for some better pricing and, you know, just overall a better experience. Like it's so hard to know. Pricing is so hard and like starting a business is so hard. And I think a lot of women too sort of start out thinking, oh, I just need to make a little bit of extra cash. Like if I can just make a little bit of extra cash, I can somehow sort of validate me doing this. And then they don't, as it progresses, they realize, wow, this is taking a lot of time for very little cash. And I didn't, you know, they, they realize at some point this isn't working. (laughs) Right. Right. It's, it came really quick. Like that realization that, $50 $50 was not going to sustain anything Yeah, yeah. because that's what I started with. You know, Ooh. you're like, Oh, this won't even make a dent in the taxes. Like $50. It's yeah. nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, why am I spending a hundred dollars to do a $50 session? Yeah. It, it makes no sense. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, was there a certain, was there any moment in your, uh, so how long have you been shooting now? Since? Um, it's going to be, Seven years. Wow. Because my kid was, yeah, around one when I started. Yeah. Officially, like a business, yeah. Right. And um, was there a moment, was there any sort of, like, not business-wise, but, like, creatively, was there any sort of moment that, where you saw things sort of shift for you? Or I guess business-wise, you could do whatever, whichever, you can answer that however you like. I shouldn't control it. So, like, (laughs) is there, is there, was there a moment where, uh... You saw, you felt a shift and you started to understand what your vision was. Hmm. I think I was always driven by light. So I think that I, from the, from the get go, I was very, very much driven by light. Like I didn't like more conventional portrait stuff. Like it was always like driven by light and kids doing activities and you know, some of my, my first session was actually like backlit with bubbles and kids and it was fun. And it was, it was just like what I was drawn to immediately. I never did. I did a few post indoor stuff, but that was very like on the minimal side of my work. Um, so I think I just continued to, to process everything with like light in mind. You know what I mean? I think, um, as far as a shift, um, I'm not sure. I'm like trying to think. It's it all becomes so jumbled, like the years. Right. Did but you take, I think is there was there like a specific class or like? I didn't take any classes, so I'm entirely self-taught. Um, one of the I love I love when you know when people truly truly credit who has helped them in their yeah. journey because I think it's so important. Right. To, you know, to say, like, everyone needs some type of help. And right. you don't just acquire all this knowledge. You do the work and you you research. And then there's people that really, really do help you. And um, I don't know if you've, found, or you've ever seen the Facebook group. It's called Finding the Light by Erin Hensley. Oh, yeah, I know Erin. Yeah, she's amazing, too. And yeah. her group really introduced me to more of like a dynamic range of light and I was like pursuing that and I think maybe maybe after her group when it was when I was shooting with intent you know I wasn't just clicking a button and it was like 
taking a step back and looking at the scene and seeing where I can position myself to make more difference or to make more of an impact for the story and the light and the composition and, you know, thinking about waiting for that right moment where the colors made sense, where they were pleasing to the eye. Like, you know what I mean? Like just pausing and visualizing and thinking about actually getting the, the final image in my head before I took it. Right. I know I had in like 2011, I think, or 2000, it was in February. So it might've been 2012. In 2012, I went to India with um, uh-huh. Momenta workshops and Jamie Rose put it this way. Jamie Rose, she is one of the people who runs the workshops and they're all like photojournalists. And um, it was really interesting because she would like, as a mentor, one of the things she did was like, look at my raw photos, which like, does that just make you want to die? Like the idea of it, <laughs> honestly, like the idea of it at first, I was like, I think I'm going to vomit. Like I'm not, not even lying. Like the idea of somebody going through everything I shot from one session. So they would like send you out, um, at five 30 in the morning and you would shoot and then you would come back and in the middle of the day, your mentor would go through what you shot and, and ask you questions. And one of the things she did at the time was like, I was shooting everything wide open because I could right. <laughs> like for no real reason is the truth. And she was like why did you shoot this at 2.8? Like she was asking me questions about my settings in a way that nobody had ever asked me questions before. And she said, it's time for you to become a thinking photographer where you're making decisions on your settings based on how you want the image to look. And I had never, ever thought about it before that in that way. And, and I was so grateful for that moment. And that sounds exactly like what happened to you. This idea of like, now I'm going to be thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to create and, something with right. intention. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, I think that when you realize like the power of your camera, but then your brain and what you know, right. Truly makes, you know, the image like, yeah, a camera helps, but if you don't have the creativity and the knowledge to really put those skills to use, then it's useless. It's just a piece of, you know, technology that we have, but yeah. It does take some skill to know what kind of image you want you to want make. You want to create. Yeah. What yeah. is it that you want to say with your camera? Um, I think that's like a major step for people. I, I think it happens for everybody at a certain point. And the sooner it can happen, the better. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why, like, I would never take back my journey. Like, even though right. I spent so much time doing crappy sessions that didn't speak to me or spent money on you know tools that I never really put to use like or props I still would you know do it all over again because it's taught me some some incredible valuable lessons right okay and so then a couple of years ago I don't even know how many years ago now you came up with the idea of deer photographer yes and so why don't we talk about that like where did that come from out of the blue so I think that it was a time where there was a lot of like Facebook, um, how do I want to say it? Facebook groups or Facebook pages that were popping up. And it was, it was really fun to have people have like the community was starting to get, to get bigger and bigger and bigger. There was all these pages you could submit to and, 
And it kind of just felt like I want, I feel like I'm, I've always been this person where like, I'm like the first one in the dance floor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just need, I don't really like to be seen, <laughs> but I want to do the thing. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Total like, FOMO. Yeah. I, I don't really like, yeah, I'm like the first person that will at a party, I'm just going to dance and I'm not going to care about what other people think, even though I, I care so much about what other people <laughs> Right. <laughs> Ironically, I'm like, please love me. Don't, don't tell me. Um, but yeah, it was just like needing myself to find my own community. And that's, you know, it was, I was going through these pages and it was like, something's missing. And, and I just want to read um, first, you know, I want to see the work and what I used to do back then to kind of help my, my, my ego, because my work just was nothing compared to these amazing artists that I admired so much. So before you could click on their, their page, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook, the little, little photo, Oh, every page has like a little icon or a little photograph. I forget the name for that, but you can click on it and you can scroll back to the beginning. Oh, yeah. So I used to do that. I used to go to any photographer that I admired and click on their photo and go back all the way to the beginning where there was like the Sophia tone and the horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Horrible. <laughs> all the, there was like, like a the, whole period of um, that people forget about of textures, although I'm starting to see a couple people talk about textures again and my like seriously I start to twitch I'm like no 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 <laughs> like let's not do textures and like the lopsided images you know where you're oh like, yeah everything's oh, tilted like portrait the tilt yeah yeah <laughs> so so it used to serve as this like kind of like everybody has their beginning journey you know what I mean and the further you go back the more you realize that it's just like a learning curve you know right. you're going you're going to get to be the artist you need if you put in the work and that was mainly the the primary idea of that like everybody's portfolio just looks different and everybody starts out with crappy images and let's take a look at that yeah that's yeah it was just a need for me to build my own community and start from there yeah now it's insane so how many people are in the facebook group now do you know Oh, God, I think it's, like, I don't know. <laughs> There's lots. I, it's probably over 10,000. Yeah, and that's relatively new. It's been, like, seven seven months. Seven? Yeah, it's, like, oh, I don't even know where it tells you how many people are. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, okay, it's, it's 9,600. Oh, so it's right so, near 10,000. That's tons. Yeah. And so then, um, at what point did you decide to do a magazine? Was this something that you had planned all along, or did the magazine just sort of organically come about? I think, I think, like many of us, we are like lovers of things that you can feel and hold, and like, you know, you love to print your photographs as much as you can, and sometimes you forget to do that, but still, like. Anything that I can, every time that I go to a bookstore, like I love physical book copies and I can't, we actually don't even offer like download of our magazine. It was just like you buy it in print or 
it is what it is because it doesn't have the same impact no. you know what I mean I think if you get a like I do get some t- some digital copies of magazines for whatever reason and I literally never go through them but if it comes yeah. to my door I'll like sit down and flip through it yeah I yeah. think maybe it's just like ha- we're have habitual people and <laughs> but I really I really do love paper copies of anything yeah. like I just love them. And I'm not such a hoarder. I'm very, very picky about what I buy. Yeah. As far as books and, you know, magazines. But that was something we wanted to, you know, a physical copy is worth more than any digital sales. Yeah, it's so funny because when I started out, I don't, like, I, I've been around for a while. But when I started out, it was a big battle between, like, film photographers and digital photographers. And we see that a bit now, but, like... 14 years ago, it was a really, really big battle. And um, I was fully in the digital camp where I was like, listen, if we can sell the digital files and sell them at a rate, you know, that is sustainable, then I have no issue with my clients owning the digital files, right? And and the old school, as I called them, people <laughs> were like, oh, we don't think you should ever sell the digital files. We think you should sell prints and there's tons of reasons for tangible items. And I get all the reasons for tangible items, but now that I've been shooting for so long and, um, I see myself in the stack of hard drives that I have, like after 14 years, the crazy stack of hard drives, not just hard drives, because when I started, I put everything on DVDs. So I have like stacks of DVDs from when I started. And um, it's like the idea that all of my work is is in a box, like basically, really, really is sort of upsetting to me because I, I do think that there are lots of images that are worth not being in a box. And now, and now after 14 years, I'm like, I want the tangible and I'm starting to shift for my clients too. Not that my clients don't print. Like I think that's the argument that a lot of people make is that if people have the digitals, they won't print. And that is not the case. I handhold, I've, I've seen, I handhold my clients through, I tell them where they can go and get great products, you know, and I go into their homes multiple times. So I see the images that they print and what they do with them. But now it's like, I don't know for me, this, it's partially about for me seeing it, seeing the final copy, and like there's there's just something different about the process of like the final aim being something to go on the wall as opposed to something that goes on the wall on Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's it's just yeah, like, and there's the, something different. And the, right, and I have a gallery of art. Like I have my kids' art up there, and yeah. um, I have. A, I don't like the. How do you say it? Like uh, electronic litter, or I, I shouldn't refer to my work as. Whoops. Hello. Oh hi. My school, my school call. I think. Oh okay. <laughs> I hope everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if they just call back. But um, I I am not a fan of taking a thousand photographs. Like that makes me anxious. I'd right. rather do specific shoots with my kids and then print those. Like I can't. Like, if I have a thousand photos of them throughout the day, right? it just makes me anxious. I'd rather just, today we're going to take some photos, and then I'm going to send those over to get printed, and then we'll have them. Right. Like, I know friends that have, like, 
when they do like day projects every you know every day and then they never print them and i'm like how do you do that i know so i stop especially if you're doing a 365 just plunk it in the template like plunk it in the book template every night when you edit it take the one that you and i think i do think what happens too and this came from jamie rose in momenta as well is she said uh-huh. to me, um, you know, portrait photographers get in this place where they think they have to create so much every time they go out the door. Like if you're doing a family session, you really do need to get like 30 great images, you know, mm-hmm. in order to make a living. But like as a photographer, when you're not shooting for a client, you really don't, if you're going out to shoot, the goal should just be one photograph. Like if you, if the goal, it totally changes everything. If the goal is to just make one great photograph as opposed to like, you know, whatever else, like making thousands of photographs that you're never, ever going to look at that you're just going to throw out. Right. And my, my daughter, actually, I have a photo box down there and she'll just take out every single print, lay it out and just point to like different things. And she just... I'm, all the time, I'm like, what do you do with my photos, girl? She's yeah, yeah. like, she takes them all out. She makes the story. And, you know, I love it. And I do have my wedding album, and they love going through those. Yeah. So definitely tangible items is what it was the driven force behind, you know, kind of like celebrating Dear Photographer and saying, look, you know, like, we're a community. And, you know, there, is, there isn't much money that goes back to us from the magazine but I think it's like it's like a labor of love you know what I mean it's like it is a celebration of our community and that it's the reasoning behind doing the magazine because you know in publishing it's like if you don't have 50 freaking ads per page you're not gonna make a whole bunch right yeah so it's just a labor of love yeah and so how often how often do you do one every how often do you do them in a year quarterly so Janelle and I were doing two or three a year, right. but it's like, you know, we wanted, it, it gets a little busy with the holidays and then it's, it, it was basically like, I think total like twice a year that we were doing one. Right. Yeah. And we did one like celebrating light and summer and color. I, yeah, I really just let Janelle take the reins creatively, whatever she felt she wanted to do with the magazine she could right and yeah so that's where and so how did you meet Janelle we met through Instagram oh yeah you know like yeah we had an insta like I feel like most of my friends I've met through Instagram and then she came to uh kind of like a gathering in Colorado and then after that we just she lives actually like I believe five or six hours from me Oh, really? And even though we've never visited, but she's pretty close. And close to, like, in reference to everyone else who's right. at the coast. Or, or from Australia. And, or yeah. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, that was basically it. We met online, and then we met in person, and she's a lovely human. And yeah. Nothing but good things to say about Janelle. She's incredible. She's, yeah. she's like, one of the most hardworking people people I've ever met she's just yeah for sure she she is a doer amazing. and so Janelle's decided to to leave the magazine so she yeah so 
uh, currently we're, she's stepping away yeah. to focus on other things and I am going to be looking for someone new. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to keep the magazine going. I believe so. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm also really, really passionate about, I, I mean, I, I think for the time being I am until, you know, I was thinking about actually taking a break just cause back to the immigration things. I have some things to help my dad out with. Right. But I was like, it's, it's like in a limbo of like, what do I do? Like, do I really have, even though Dear Photographer doesn't take a bunch of my day, it's still something that has to be constantly, like I have to be checking in. I have to do some sort of like social media blogging. You know, it takes a little bit of my, enough of my day that I have to do that I can't, really put towards other things and I just actually talked to my dad and I'm, I'm like in a limbo of like what to do next you know like where yeah. where is dear photographer really heading and I think mainly every project or any small company or you know anything that wants to grow has like deciding factors and choices that they have to make and in, in, in order to be successful or keep growing because if you're not growing then it's just stalling and it's you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And I also think like one of the things that especially women uh, don't under or don't appreciate until they're in that position is the mental workload that comes with a business or a large project or anything like that. And so it's this like I know we talk a lot about the mental workload from a standpoint of feminism in our own households, but it's like we don't talk about the mental workload of running a business. And realize that, you know, it's really hard to, like, let that part go. Like, it's, we're not counting all the hours and energy that comes into, like, sorting through the idea that becomes a project or a magazine or whatever. And, um, yeah. So I I can totally appreciate where you are now. And, And it does come down to, especially when it's a passion project, it's like, okay, I'm not making a whole lot of money and it's taking up all this energy and I have other things that are going to take up energy. So like, where are the boundaries in my own life that, what am I going to be able to do? Yeah. I think I've definitely scaled back a lot. Like, um, last year I was blogging every four, not every four days, but every day for four days, I was just putting out a bunch of content and it was really fulfilling for me. Once I stopped being fulfilling, then that's when my my interest kind of dwindles but right. so far like I am passionate about helping other people be seen right and helping other people and and encouraging others because I I think I'm always like you know be the mentor that you didn't have and right. I think you know I'm even though I you know again like I said I'll be the first one to go out there and do something like I didn't really have a lot of resources and that goes back to my childhood where it's like I was basically on my own and just trying to figure it out and that's basically what happened with photography and that's where I started a community to just feel more at home within you know myself and others that have the same love for photography right that's interesting yeah Yeah. well I'm I for one am a member of the 10,000 or roughly that are interested to see where the magazine will go. I'm really excited. Yeah. I, I think I think there's tons of possibilities. And I also think, too, one of the problems, having my own group, one of the problems, and I know this from 
uh, having my own crew, is that it's hard to let go sometimes. And so it was easy for you to let go to Janelle. So I know that it's probably hard to imagine finding somebody else that you could also let go of certain things and get help. But I know that there are lots of people out there who are willing to help you. And sometimes it's just a matter of like knowing what to ask and who to ask, what and who to ask. And so, yeah, I'm super looking forward to it. Audrey. Yeah, me too. I'm going to try to say your name, Adriana. Right. No, you said Adriana. Adriana? No. Ah. Adriana. Adriana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adriana, Adriana. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here, and I love your podcast. I was like, it's amazing. So, um...